Amen. Ushers, please be seated. I remember when I was a young infantry soldier, and I got deployed to the Middle East during Operation Desert Storm, and one of the first things we had to do when we got into Iraq was to dig foxholes. The foxhole had to be deep and wide enough in order to secure us during firefight, to protect us from the Scud missiles that were flying overhead. And every day while we were in combat, we were instructed to keep improving our positions. So we would add sandbags every day, overhead cover, so that we would have plenty of fortification to keep improving the odds of survival in case of an attack. Our foxhole had to have easy exit and entry points so we could jump in and jump out quickly if we needed to. As a matter of fact, we were instructed to stay in our foxholes as much as possible because at any moment the sirens can go off and we can hear incoming, incoming, so we would sleep in our foxhole. We wrote letters. We did our baby white baths in the foxhole because that was our protection. And brothers and sisters, I want to say to you this morning that we are living in a world that's filled with danger. All across the map, we've got wildfires. We've got COVID-19. We got hurricanes and earthquakes, and we've got racism and hate crimes. There is brutality crimes, and we all are in the midst of spiritual warfare. Our children, our family, our jobs, our churches are under attack. And people are daily laying snares to try to trip you up. My question is. Have you found a hiding place? Have you dug a spiritual foxhole so that when the sirens of our trials and tribulations and storms come up, we have a place to run and hide? If you haven't found a spiritual foxhole yet, brothers and sisters, I want to recommend to you the best spiritual foxhole I know it is the presence of God. If you want to be safe from all alarms, then you must learn how to dwell in the presence of God. This is the focus of my sermon. I want to preach from this subject this morning, the safety of God's presence. The safety of God's presence from Psalm 91. I'm reading from the old King James Version of the Bible. It reads this way there in Psalm 91. It says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, 
and under his wings shall thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thy eyes shall thou behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the dragon, shall thou trample under feet. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. The Lord had a blessing to the reading of his holy and inspired word. Let the church shout out, Amen. Amen. Psalm 91 is a psalm of protection. We're not certain who the author of this psalm is although most scholars attribute it to Moses. They believe that Moses authored this psalm while he was ascending to the cloud hovering over Mount Sinai. Psalm 91 is somewhat complicated to follow because the voice keeps changing. And throughout this passage, it raises the question in the reader's mind, who is the one that is speaking? It starts off in, third person plural, and then it changes to first person singular, and then it switches to second person singular. It seems to be all over the place, and we are easily confused about who is speaking. But this is intentional poetic dialogue, and you have to pay attention to it in order to follow the flow of the text. Because first, the psalmist is speaking and he is giving his testimony. and He is telling about God's protection in his life. But secondly, the psalmist is offering this to whomsoever will. He is saying to his audience, the same protection that I have enjoyed is available to whosoever will. But finally, God himself, he speaks and he responds to the one who dwells in the secret place. And he expresses the promises of those who dwell in the secret place. But this psalm is a universal invitation. Watch this. To anyone who desires perfect peace, rest, assurance, trust, confidence, and safety. Whoever dwells in the secret place of the Most High will find all these things. My brothers and sisters in God, there is a trust that will not shake or tremble no matter what life throws at you. In God, there is a safety that is safe from whatever man can throw at you. When you are in the mighty arms of God, you will have a peace that can satisfy like nothing else in the world. 
God is the master of our peace and comfort. God is the one who knows how to give peace in the midst of life's storms. He is a place where you can run and hide in the face of life's fears. So let's expose this psalm this morning. We want to outline it in three different ways. Write these three things down. If you want to experience the safety of God's presence, three things you must do. Number one, you must remain in place. But secondly, you must recognize his person. And finally, you must rest in his promises. Y'all going to pray with me this morning? First of all, remain in place. Notice again, verse 1 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The first thing that we notice in this text is the synonymous parallelism. For we notice that he uses the word dwell and abide, which are similar words, but they are different. On the one hand, when he talks about dwelling, it literally means to sit down and be quiet in the presence of the Lord. It means to tarry and to settle oneself in. This word dwell is sometimes translated the word marry. And so the implication of it is that you must spend quality time with God like you do your spouse. On the other hand, to abide means to spend the night with God. Syntactically, this word abide is in the imperfect tense. It is in the middle voice. Imperfect tense means that it is habitual action that is in progress. It refers to something that is in the process of unfolding. Middle voice means that the subject acts in his own interest. So here's a possible interpretation of what it means to dwell and abide in the presence of the Lord. For your own good, make it a habit of spending quality time in the presence of God. Both of these words imply getting comfortable in the presence of the Lord. Not doing a drive-by, not doing any quick visits, not stopping by for a few minutes, not giving God a wham-bam thank you. But it's the idea of pulling off your shoes, putting on your pajamas, bring your toothbrush, bring your hair bonnet and your do-rag. Spend the night with God over and over again. And keep on extending your stay. It is the idea of making yourself at home in the presence of God. My brothers and sisters, I want to say to you this morning that there are some people who have never experienced a deeper level of intimacy with God because they haven't stayed in his presence long enough. There are many Christians who do not have a prayer life, who do not have a devotional life, and have spent 
talent on the Lord. We've got that part of stewardship down. They have spent their treasure on the Lord. They've got that part down, but haven't spent time with the Lord. Do you not know, my brothers and sisters, that every day that God gives you, you owe a portion of it back to him? And if you have not allocated intimate time to spend with God every day, you're living beneath your privileges. I never shall forget an experience that I had right here at Macedonia Baptist Church when I preached a sermon that was fiery. It was one of those shouting sermons where everybody was up jumping and dancing. And after I finished preaching, everybody came saying, boy, you sure did preach today. And I was sticking my chest all out, feeling all good about it. And they would say, they would just come in one after another. Woo, you sure did preach. Woo, you sure did bless me. And I'm just smiling, sticking my chest out. And I walked all the way back to the back door right there. And I remember Dr. Emily Barron, she asked me a question that she intended to be a compliment, but God intended for it to be a conviction. She said to me, she said, she said, young man, my God, what a powerful message this morning. She said, you must spend so much time with God every day. How much time do you spend with God every day? And I didn't have an answer for her. Because at that time, I didn't have a consistent prayer life, even though I was a preacher. At that time, I was not in the habit of daily getting in the face of God. I would do those, now I lie me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep and then jump into bed and go to sleep. I would do those, God is great, God is good, thank you for this food I'm about to receive and then go to grub and on whatever I was going to eat. I would pray occasionally, I would dig deep when it was time to get a sermon, but I was not spending intimate time with God so that he could work on me and work everything out of me that need to be worked out of me and work in me everything that need to be worked in me. Her words were convicting, but her words made me go home that night and pray. And I fell on my knees and I made a promise to God and I said, God, I promise from this day forward. I will never face another day without facing you first. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that I've kept my promise. And I have experienced some of the deeper things of God that you'll never get from now I lie me down to sleep and God is great and God is good. You've got to spend time in the presence of God, remain in place. Not merely a place, but the psalmist says remain in a secret place. Secret place is synonymous with the word shadow in the text. They both are symbols of God's protection. Secret place is the covered place in God that is out of reach of all hostile weapons. It is God's foxhole. He covers you from all the shots being fired. Now, this doesn't mean that you are immune from suffering. This doesn't mean that you are immune from trouble and heartaches. You're still going to have death in your family. You're still going to have times where you don't have enough money. You're still going to get sick sometime. You're still going to suffer sometime. But that is not what it means when it said that he's going to protect you from the, the shots fired. It doesn't mean that nothing won't ever happen to you. But he's still protecting you. In the secret place, it's God's foxhole remain not only in the secret place, but remain in the secure place. 
Where do we get this idea of security from? It is because he names several words in the passage that speaks to security. Look at the text. Did you notice the word refuge is there? The word fortress, the word shield and buckler, the words under his wings and under his shadow and habitation. All these words speak to the protection of God that said work in the life of everybody who placed their trust in him. For when it says refuge, to declare God as refuge means that he's a shelter and he's a buttress. It means that he is a trust and a place that you can have security in. By virtue of the fact that he is shield and buckler, it places this in the power of truth. When you stand firm in the truth of God's word, it protects you like a shield, he says, and a buckler. When you have confidence in the word of God, when he makes a reference to the shield, he is making reference to a full-bodied, oblong-shaped shield that covers the whole body. But when he makes a reference to the buckler, it is a small, round shield that's placed on the forearm that is movable that can cover all the parts that the shield didn't cover. It, it means that God will give you grace even for the things that's not already covered. That is the kind of protection that comes with abiding in the truth of God's word. It will detect lies and schemes and fiery darts and arrows and bullets aimed at you. You can never go wrong standing in the truth of God. It will shield you. I remember... Pastor May talked about when I was a young private. I remember when I was a young private in the Army. I was stationed over in Germany, and the Army decided they wanted to switch things up instead of having the dirty dozen in PT, instead of just going through the whole thing we go through in PT. They wanted to sp spruce it up, and so they brought in an aerobics instructor, and they brought in some hip-hop music, and and she got up there, and she was wearing all of these revealed in clothes, and they were tight, and everything was popping all out. And, and I was saved. I had given my life to Jesus. And, and I remember how that, that music, it was profane, and it was offensive music. And here they had us out there dancing to this music, so I had to be exposed to this woman in skimpy clothes and listen to this devilish music. But I was a young private. I was saved and on fire for the Lord. And I remember telling my sergeant, Sergeant, I can't go out there and dance to that stuff. I said, I don't mind doing EPT. I'll go run. I'll do my push-ups. I'll do my sit-ups. But I don't want to go in that mess. And he said, well, you better get over there because this is what we're doing and this is what you got to do. But it, there was a conviction in my heart that this was not what the Lord had for my life. And so the sergeant, when I wouldn't listen to him, he got the first sergeant. And the first sergeant looked me dead in the eye and looked like I could see the devil in his eyes when he said it. He said, soldier, you better get your little tail out there and dance like all the rest of the soldiers. If you don't get out there, I'm going to give you an Article 15. I'm going to bust you down to the lowest grade in rank. And you won't even be able to go to church. Maybe you might get 30 minutes or an hour on Sunday if I feel nice enough. And he threatened me, but I looked him back dead in the eye, and I said, first sergeant, do whatever you got to do. I'm not doing it. And I remember they started the counseling. They had my Article 15 in progress. But I went to my room, and I started praying, Lord, I want to stand on your word. Lord, I want to stand for truth. 
And every time I was praying, the Lord would bring Isaiah 41.10 to mind. It would say, fear thou not, be not dismayed. I, the Lord thy God, am with thee. I will help thee. I will strengthen thee. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. And I kept on praying. I kept on crying. And every time I would go out in public, the soldiers were making fun of me. They were saying, ha, ha, Livingston, your God ain't going to help you now, is he? You about to get busted. Ha, ha, where's your Jesus now? But I kept on praying. The Lord kept saying, fear thou not. Be not dismayed. I, the Lord thy God, am with thee. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. And then one day as I was on my way to the chow hall to get some breakfast, I came across the commander who couldn't wait to get to me. I saluted my commander, but he wouldn't salute me back. He just kept looking at me. You see, because I had already had an engagement with the commander when he first came there, he gave us an open door policy. And he said, uh, any soldier who want to come and talk to me, I have an open door policy. You don't have to go to anybody, just come to me. So I took advantage of his open door policy and I went in there and I said, hey commander, do you know Jesus? It doesn't matter that you got captain bars. Captain bars go to hell just like privates. I was bold and I talked to the commander and when he had this article 15 come across his desk, he couldn't wait to get to me. And he came, when he saw me, he wouldn't salute me back. I was just stuck up there waiting for him to salute. He said, put your hands down, Livingston. He said, you wanna know what's gonna happen to you? I said, yes, sir. He said, you're about to get promoted. And as a matter of fact, Every time we have PT now, you'll get your own private instructor. We're going to take you far away from the music. You don't have to look at them. You don't have to be nowhere near them. He said, I had to call and tell my mama about you because here you are and you are ready to give up everything. You got real faith. But the thing is, I was standing on the truth of the word and it protected me. But here's the good part. The good part is that same first sergeant that looked at me with the devil in his eyes, he was the one that had to pin on my new rank. He'll make your enemies. The truth shall be your shield and buckler. Then it talks about a fortress, a fortified defensive structure. Which means that in order for anything to defeat you, it first of all has to defeat God. Think about that for a moment. If God is your fortress, that means that anything that wants to get to you has to first of all defeat God before it can get to you. It has to defeat the one who is all powerful, which means you can't overthrow him. The one who is omniscient, he knows everything, so you can't outsmart him. The one who is omnipresent, so you can't outrun him. The one who is the unmoved mover, who makes everything else move. The one who is the uncaused causer, that causes everything else to call. The one that is the unchanged changer, that makes everything else change. You got to defeat him. Before you can get to me. Then it says that you hide under his wings. It says wings, feathers, shadow. shadow. So the psalmist here, he now uses what is known in theology as a zoomorphism. 
which is akin to what is known as an anthropomorphism. An anthropomorphism is when we use human characteristics and we ascribe them to God. Now the Bible tells us that God is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But we are not, we are humans and we understand humanity. So the Bible uses anthropomorphisms when it talks about the hand of God, even though God don't really have hands. When it talks about the heart of God, when it talks about the, the eyes of the Lord, those are anthropomorphisms. In a like manner, when the Bible talks about zoomorphisms, this is when the Bible uses animal characteristics to uh, describe a truth about God. In this case, it is using the zoomorphism, talking about feathers and wings and the shadow because it is given the symbol of a mother hen covering her little chicks. And so it means that anyone that abides under this shadow, you are in the perfect position to have the brunt of everything it before it gets to you. No matter how much it's beaming down like the rays of the sun, it, it has to go through the strength of God before it can get to you. <laughs> Let me see if I can illustrate this for you. I, I remember I grew up in one of those old-fashioned families and homes just like some of you where my mother and my grandmother they believed in butt whoopings do I have any witnesses I'm in good company <laughs> but I remember you know my my grandmother she was an equal opportunity disciplinarian and she didn't care who she whooped she'd whoop all my friends and if you want her territory you're cutting up you're getting a whooping but I remember every now and then, whenever there would be something that came up, there was a dispute about whose fault it was. And they said, uh, she did it, he did it. Grandma would just say, I'm going to whoop all of y'all. But what I like about what Grandma would do was she would start with the oldest. And she would wake her way down to the youngest. Because she would say to the older ones, y'all should have known better. And so... I remember one time when Grandma was going to give us all a whooping, we had to line up to get our whoopers. She started with Brenda. She was tearing Brenda's butt up, whooping. Brenda doing the whooping dance, you know, all over the place. She tearing her up. And then she get to my sister Leola. She beating her behind. Leola screaming and hollering and jumping and doing the whooping dance. And she get down to my sister Cynthia. She get her whooping. And then she get down to my sister Leslie. Then she'll start on my brother Stanley, giving him a good whooping. Then my brother Jeffrey. Then my sister Shell. But the beautiful thing was, I'm the baby boy, and my sister, she's the baby girl, Lynette. And by the time she would get finished whooping on my sister Cheryl, she'd be out of breath. <sighs> she breathing hard. And very often she would just say, I'm going to get y'all next time. Y'all going out here. And brothers and sisters, I want you to know that when you're hiding under the feathers of God, there come time when there are darts being thrown at you, but they got to go through God first. They got to go through his wings and through his feather. And by the time it gets through to you, it's out of juice. It's out of energy. It can't do you any harm. That's the beauty of hiding under his shadow. Well, there's another thing. You 
have to remain in place if you want to experience the safety of God's presence. I'm going to just share a little of this. I already got another preaching engagement. I'll share the rest later. I know I won't finish. There's too much sermon left. But here's the second thing. You had to recognize his person. For we notice between verse 1 and 2, it describes the person of God. Listen again. It says, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him will I trust. If you want to experience the safety of God's presence, you must not only remain in place, but you must recognize his person. For these verses that we just read in verse 1 and 2, the psalmist gives us a summary of the person of God by referring to four different names of God. It is the names of God that reveals his nature, that reveals his person that is at work in that particular situation at that particular time. And it is very intentional, the names that are used to describe God. There are four names that the psalmist captures. First of all, he talks about the Most High. That is the word Elyon, which is to express that God is inaccessibly high above the range of his enemies. By virtue of the fact that the Bible says that God is the most high, it is a way of saying there's nothing or nobody on the earth that can outrank him. He's the most high. He's higher than every judge. He's higher than every president. He's higher than every human authority. He is the most high. He is the court that there is no appeal for. He's higher than the Supreme Court. He is the Most High. God being the Most High means nothing is higher than him. It's believed that the moon is an estimated distance of 250,000 miles from the earth. But I want you to know God is higher than the moon. It's been said that the tallest mountain in the world is Mount Everest and it stands more than 29,000 feet. But I want you to know God is taller than Mount Everest. The tallest building in the world is like a smurf to God. The Bible says that the clouds are the dust of his feet. And I've been privileged to travel all over this world and everywhere I've been, I've seen clouds. When we were in Kuwait, they had clouds. When we were in Iraq, there were clouds over there. When we were in Saudi Arabia, there were clouds. When I was in California, there were clouds everywhere in the world. So one thing that that indicates to me is God has some big feet. He's the most high. And since he is the most high, that means he's the greatest possible safety place. He's out of range of all the blow of the enemy. Everybody's arms is too short to box with him. Every bullet and arrow has a maximum effective range of zero when it comes to reaching God. Every weapon of man is inadequate. Not only does it say that he is the most high, but notice that it says he's the almighty. This is the second name that is captured, which is the word Shaddai which indicates he is changeless 
and invincibly almighty. No one can stand against his power, not even all the weapons in the world. No one can do anything unless he allows it. He has the ultimate power. He's in control of everyone and everything. There's no one who matches his power. He is limitless in his power. That's why we see Jesus defying all the laws. He defied the law of gravity when he walked on water. He defied the law of arithmetic when he took two fish, five loaves, fed 5,000, still had leftovers. He defied nature when he woke up from a nap and there was a storm and he said, peace be still, and it calmed down. He defied all medical things because he was the blind eye seer, the lame man walker, the deaf ear unstopper, the dumb man talker, the lame man walker. He is the almighty. And when you are dwelling with him, nothing can come against you unless he allows it. But not only does it tell us he's the most high and he's the almighty, but it says he is the Lord. I love this because it, the Lord means Yahweh. It means that he is Jehovah God. Watch this. Which means he is the self-existent one. Ain't that good news? Did you hear what I said? He is the self-existent one. What do you mean, preacher? He's the self-existent one. In other words, I need water to exist. Because if I don't get water in about three days, I'm going to die of dehydration. I need food to exist because if I don't have food in about 40 days, I'm going to die of starvation. I need sleep to exist because if I don't get sleep in about 11 days, I'm going to die of sleep deprivation. I need a shelter to exist because without a shelter, I'm going to get caught in a storm and the trajectory of a storm and I might die from forced blunt trauma. I need air and oxygen to exist or in about four to six minutes, I'm going to die from suffocation. I need companionship and fellowship and worship or I might die from depression or hopelessness. But all God needs to exist is himself. He doesn't need food to exist because he's the bread of heaven. He doesn't need water to exist because he's the living water. That's why in Deuteronomy 32 and 39, he says, See now that I, even I am he, and there is no God with me. I kill, I make alive, I wound, I heal, and neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift my hand to heaven and say that I live forever. He's not only the most high and the almighty, he's not only the Lord, but there's one more, and we'll leave it here today. He says, I am, he is my God, Elohim. He is, in other words, a personal God. He's saying that I'm his and he's mine. How many people know that when it comes to relationship with Jesus, you've got to know him for yourself? I'm trying to tell you, brothers and sisters, there is no group plan salvation. You got to know him for yourself. Just like if, if you get hungry, you got to eat for yourself. 
You can't get hungry and then ask your wife to eat a sandwich for you. If you get sick, you got to take medicine for yourself. If you get sleepy, you got to lie down and go to sleep for yourself. And if you want to get to heaven, you got to know Jesus for yourself. Because he is my God. So there is yet more to be unpacked in this text. But you gave me another preaching date. I'm going to leave it here today. I will summarize by saying the safety of God's presence is found by you remaining in place. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. It will come which you recognize in his person. You've got to know his name. He is the Most High. He is the Almighty. He is the Lord. And he is my God. And as you recognize his person, then you will become a recipient of his promises, which is how he ends by giving all of these I will statements that end the verse. I'll read them for now. Here is the result of being a recipient of abiding in the Lord. Verse 14 says, because he has set his love upon me. In other words, because he has become consumed with loving me, which means he keeps my commandments, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he have known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. My brothers and sisters, I want you to know we've got a foxhole that we can run and jump in. It is the foxhole of the presence of the Lord. And you don't have to be good enough to get in this foxhole. All you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus made a way for us. When he died on that old rugged cross, he was hung up for our hang-ups. They nailed him in his hands. They nailed him in his feet. They pierced him in the side. But we should have been the ones hanging on that cross. But thank God for Jesus. He wouldn't come down from that cross until he finished the work. When the work was all finished, he said, it is finished. He died on that old rugged cross. They put him down in a barrel tomb. But thank God that's not how the story ends. But three days later, he rose from the grave with all power in his hands. He stands with arms wide open and says, whosoever will, let him come. Run into my arms and experience the safety of my presence. Ain't that good news? <laughs> Everyone's standing at this time.
we want to take a moment to extend to you an invitation to Christian discipleship. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're out of the ark of safety. That can all change.